Percenters podcast where a Jew, two Brits, and an average Joe talk all things basketball. I'm Joey. I'm Ankit. I'm Johnny. And I'm Bobby. And today we're joined by special guest Mo DeKeel, former video coordinator of the Spurs, Clippers, and founder of thejumpball.net. But before we get into the podcast, we'd like to announce that we're running our first ever giveaway. Head to our Twitter page at 11percenters, that's 11percenters, where you'll find the tweet pinned at the top of our page. Retweet and follow to win a pair of tickets to a preseason game of your choice and reply to that tweet with your game of choice and we'll pick a winner in the coming days. Best of luck. So today we have a special guest on the show. We have Mo Dakil. Is that right, Mo? Yeah, yeah, you got it. So just to give you guys some background information, you got your start as the USCT manager, right? Yes. Uh, actually, before that, at uh, Santa Monica City College, I was a manager for a junior college basketball team first. Oh, cool. Moved on to the NBA, video coordinator for the Clippers, Spurs, and then the Clippers again, and spent three off seasons with the Australian national team where Brett Brown was also an assistant. And uh, Brett Brown was the head coach. Oh, he was the head coach. Yeah. And your responsibilities as video manager, a uh, video coordinator, from what I understood, was uh, preparing footage for coaches and players to analyze. And that evidently uh, led to the creation of the jumpball.net, where you basically analyze various aspects of players and teams in the NBA through film. Yeah, that's, I mean, you summed it up perfectly. So, how did you get into the business? What made you want to go work for the NBA? Uh, it's, it's kind of a funny story. I stumbled upon basketball really just by chance in junior college at Santa Monica city. Um, the, uh, you know, I was a diehard basketball fan, was a diehard Laker fan growing up and then had a huge gap in my class schedule, uh, midday. And, you know, I lived in the Valley. It was a, it it wasn't going to be something where I was going to drive home and then drive back. Uh, so I needed to find something to occupy my time. Now, most people would just study and get all their work done in that time. But, you know, that that didn't feel like uh, doing the smart thing didn't seem like the best thing to do for me. Uh, and I chose to uh, found an opportunity to work for the basketball team. Um, Trevor Schickman, who's kind of my older brother uh, now, you know, was assistant coach there. That's how I met him. And and he brought me on to to work for him and coach Mack. And from there, uh a few months in, I was just kind of bit by the bug. I mean, it started with the hobby and the next thing you know, I was like, okay, no, I want to coach. Um, and, and just kind of worked my way up, you know, at, the, at that time, really my main goal was college basketball. You know, I, I was more interested in that. And then eventually ended up at, uh, USC. Uh, you know, I, I, I did a small stint at UC Irvine, um, as well. Uh, and then finally ended up at USC and, Got an opportunity to work with Neil Olshay one summer, uh, working out guys. And from that, an opportunity came to work in the NBA after I graduated and I, uh, I, uh, jumped all over it. That's awesome. So you said you wanted to be a coach. What kind of impact along the way or what kind of relationship did you have with guys like Greg Popovich and Brett Brown? I mean, I had a, a great relationship with pretty much all the coaches I've worked with. Um, you know, uh, of course, these guys are all going to have impact. I mean, Coach Popovich is the standard bearer. Like he's the—I honestly think he's the best coach, not just in the NBA. I just think he's the best coach ever. 
Um, I'll take him across any sports. I'll take him over Belichick. I'll take him over. Uh, I don't know anything about baseball. I, 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 I would say Tommy Lasorda, but I don't know if anybody else would actually know who that is, considering <laughs> how, how young you, you guys are. Um, but you know, uh, I would take him across any sport. Like that's a guy I'd, I'd, you know, follow under and, and run through a wall for him. You know, coach Brown, listen, he's a phenomenal coach. I know he doesn't always get the, the recognition. Um, I know his overall record doesn't look that way with just what happened in Philly, but you know, the, the basis of what's going on in team Australia, you know, he kind of set that foundation up. Now they're going to have an influx of serious talent, but he kind of set a foundation up in team Australia. That's really going to allow them to succeed over the next, you know, few, uh, world championships and Olympics, you know, as, as well as, uh, you know, as long as the talent kind of keeps coming in, but he, he's phenomenal coach and a, and a heavy influence. Um, Vinny Del Negro, when I went back to the Clippers, was a huge influence on me as well. Um, another Spurs guy as well. And just kind of, you know, everybody has an effect. And, 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 you know, some coaches you're going to, you're going to learn from and some coaches are going to do stuff that you think you're, you're not going to want to do and, and things like that. And that's kind of part of the process of, of working your way up and studying in the NBA. Yeah. As you said, Mo, um, Obviously, you left the United States to move on to different international basketball organizations and, and systems. How, how do you see the backroom and the the more you know the video coordination of, of these organizations differently from the NBA? How do you think it's different? Well, I mean, you know, the the hardest thing, you know, when I was working with Team Australia was really the equipment. Um, you know, the first day I I, I blew a, a power source because of the. <laughs> <laughs> the change in wattage, um, you know, and, 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 and so that's a challenge in itself, you know, and, and those things, you know, the thing about the NBA is everything's at your fingertips. When you're, when you're working in the NBA, you could download any game, you know, that's in the, the NBA digital library, um, going back several years. So you kind of have a full, uh, uh, run of anything, you know, at, at the international level, a lot of it is, is you got to go figure stuff out. And a lot of it actually goes back to college um, where I had to do a lot of like film exchange and that's on an international level. You know, I'm writing, you know, to the, to the Chinese national team, you know, trying, trying to see if we can trade some game film. I'm writing to the French national team and, and kind of orchestrating this stuff. And that's on an international level. And that's a challenge in its own right. Um, so, you, you know, that's kind of the, 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 the challenges that come with it. Um, I really equated it to like being a video coordinator and camping at the same time. Um, it was just <laughs> a tough, it was, it, 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 it was really a challenge because I didn't have the full gamut of equipment that I had in an NBA video room, you know, so I kind of just doing it out of my hotel room and, and, and that just kind of made things a little more challenging. How much of a sort of impact do you think basketball has in Australia? Because obviously it's kind of been overshadowed by other sports that have been developing over the last few years. And I think, um, you know, we've seen stars arise from Australia that are now in the NBA. So how much do you think it impacts people on, on their day-to-day lives from what you've seen? I mean, it's growing, you know, from when I was there, it wasn't that big. I mean, listen, we all know it's footy over there. Um, yeah. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, Australian football and rugby are like the main things there. And don't mix them up. I, I did that and got nearly yeah. you know thrown out of the country, um, <laughs> you know, but it's I mean, that's kind of it's it, their, their big sport there. And as well, I mean, you know, good on them for it. You know, that's that's kind of the the the, the challenge there is, you know, you're competing with 
trying to get talent that's you know more likely going to go there than than stay in uh uh basketball uh you know so it's uh it's growing in itself the nbl is doing well and and and, and it helps the nbl that they're going to be playing tonight they're playing philadelphia you know melbourne and philadelphia are playing tonight you know it's it's helping on that level to kind of grow and the more stars you have you know starting really with andrew gaze you know and luke longley and those guys sort of slowly kind of building it up to the to the level it's at now where we have you know ben simmons could potentially be a, a superstar you know, and, 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 you know, having him kind of being, you know, with that Australian heritage, you know, you have Joe Ingles, you have Patty Mills, you have, um, gosh, there's so many guys, uh, Del Vadova, so, so many different, different guys that kind of just have that, that background. It's, it's slowly growing and, and the interest in Australia, you know, basketball is growing, you know, in that regards. And, and, and you're seeing it as we're, as we're watching it. Yeah. Uh, what's the biggest thing that you learned from, Brett Brown, when you were over in Australia, like what's the biggest thing that he taught you? You know, the thing about Brett that's really amazing is that, you know, he really listens to everybody, um, you know, and, and, and he makes a point to to make sure that everybody is is at least felt like they're heard. Now, he may not agree with them and he may not always do what they want. But he makes sure everybody's taught, you know, has has their say, you know, before each coaches meetings we had all the the trainers in the and and the medical people and telling us you know kind of how hard we can go what what level we should go at or which guy needs rest and things like that you know Brett's taking all of that into account you know early on in my days in Australia you know I I I felt like I shouldn't say anything you know I was just kind of video guy and Brett kind of pulled me aside and said listen you're in the meetings you're in the practices you're in everything you know you need to talk when you have an idea or something, you need to speak up and, and, and say, you know, what you think. And, and, and the funny thing was like, you know, Brett's like 80% of what you say is probably not going to be useful, you know, but that 20% that's useful is going to be a big deal for us. And we need that. And that's why you're here. And eventually that 20% is going to grow to 30. It's going to grow to 40. You know, he's like, you're, you're going to get better at this and this stuff. So use this as an opportunity, you know, so I really kind of, learn the value of really listening to everybody and, 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 you know, hearing him tell me that, I mean, shoot, I went into the next meeting and you couldn't shut me up. So it was one of those things like, you know, it's, it's, those are the things like he kind of empowering somebody and allowing them to kind of grow. It's an important thing uh, that I got picked up from Brett. And I, and I really feel it's something that he does in Philly as you know, now as he, as he's moved on to being a, a head coach at the NBA level. Do you think Brett will help the Sixers win a championship? I don't see why he wouldn't. Um, listen, winning a championship is incredibly hard. You know, there's a it's it's a it's a challenge. You know, it doesn't matter what conference you're in to get all the way there. It's it's a, a battle of attrition in terms of injuries and 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 guys' health. It's you know, there's an element of luck and 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 getting the right matchups and things like that. Winning a championship is ultimately an extremely difficult thing. I think they're on the right track. I think Brett's the right head coach for this team. I think he really has an understanding of, you know, these guys and he's grown with these guys. I mean, he went through all the losses and he felt every single one of them, you know, all his way up to, you know, now and, and, and this deserves success he's had, but you go back and watch those games. He was coaching his butt off back then, you know, even when they were getting blown out by 30 or 40, you know, he's 
literally up on in the fourth quarter, you know, where most coaches would be on the bench and just kind of like, let's just get this game over with. He's there jumping up and down, trying to get his guys, you know, in the right defensive position and things like that. I think he's a great NBA head coach. I think he's he'd be great for any team. I think right now he's in a great place in Philadelphia. I think he's kind of he's he's kind of he's he's not a Philly guy by by trade in nature, but he, he kind of has that blue collar mentality and that that work ethic. He's the son of two teachers. Um, you know, he's grinded his whole way. You know, he coached in Australia for 20 years before coming over to the NBA and and, and working with San Antonio forever. You know, he's one of the first development coaches teams had on a staff, you know, and then and, and that was something they did in San Antonio. And he's steadied under pop and he's he's kind of worked his way up. So I think you know, he's, he's going to be, I think he's a, I personally think he's a great coach. Of course, I'm obviously a, a bit biased, but I think he's the right guy for Philly. And I was really happy when they gave him the extension that they did. Um, in ter- obviously having spent eight years in an NBA film room, how can, what do you think the development's been in terms of technology and how teams approach film in, uh, over the course of those years that you spent there? Yeah. I mean, you know, in the eight years I was there, I mean, it was really, uh, I was there for, kind of the evolution of the video room. Um, I haven't been in one for a while, so things might have even changed further than that. But when I first started, you know, with the Clippers, we had to record games on DVD. We had to try to break down games live because DVRs were just becoming a thing, you know, and and we didn't have one and it, and it took a while. And then over time now, you know, it's we just record games and, and, and it's easier, you know, we can just record games and then break them down at, at, at our uh, leisure. And then, you know, the same thing now with being able to download games, you know, the introduction of the iPad is huge. Um, you know, when I was in San Antonio, my first year, you know, we were using the iTouch, which was, you know, basically like an iPhone without the, the capabilities of the iPhone to, to put, put guys shots on the, there, you know, so guys can go through and watch their shots and, and things like that. You know, then the iPad came out and, and was a big thing and, and, and we we're able to use iPads. And now, you know, when I was my last year with the Clippers, you know, uh, one of the assistant coaches would send a note and I'd send an iPad out to them on the bench during games, you know, and, and they would use it during timeouts, you know. So it's the the game has changed technologically wise, you know really vast and it, it it helps video coordinators but it also puts a little more stress on us in the regards of they're just going to ask for more stuff now and some of that stuff we can do some of that stuff we can't do um but it's 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 a very helpful for the games and very helpful for the players you know being able to show them you know almost in real time like right after a play like hey look see that's the coverage you missed we need you to be in this spot that's a big deal and that that's that's really helpful how much of an impact do you think video coordinators, you know, all across the league have on organizations' decisions to make draft picks? Yeah. To, uh, on the draft or just in general? Uh, on the draft firstly, and then you can go on to general as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it helps. I mean, it's part of the puzzle. It's, you know, the the, the draft is, is multiple things, you know. Um, we're providing film in terms of this is what the guy does. This is what we've seen. This is, this is his history. This is his resume, um, his, his basketball resume, you know, and then, you know, you bring guys in for draft workouts cause you want to get a feel for who they are and, 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 and their personalities and things like that. You want to, you want to see them compete up front, 
you know, in, in your face. You know, you have your scouts that are doing their background homework. You know, they're, they're going to games because there's some stuff you're not going to catch on film, you know. How is this guy reacting when he's on the bench? Is he engaged in the bench or is he aloof? Is he cheering on his teammates or is, is he sitting and pouting? You know, there's all sorts of different things and body language reading and stuff like that. It's part of the puzzle. It's, it's, it's never, there's never one thing, you know, whether yeah. it's in the draft, whether it's scouting, whatever it is, it's never just like, this is the only thing we need. All of this is a part of a puzzle. All of this is a piece that kind of leads to the whole. So I think, you know, it, it's an important part, but Every other aspect of it is as well. Uh, and, and, and it's a, a key thing that just kind of help. It, it, it's a tool that will help you make the right decisions. Yeah. Uh, just connecting back to your career at San Antonio, you know, you have James Brego who just took over the head coaching role at the Charlotte Hornets. Um, he had an anecdote on Woj's pod a few weeks ago, uh, saying that there, he sat down with, with, uh, with Pop, uh, and he asked him his opinion on a specific play. Do you think that happened? Did that happen in your career at all? Did you have coaches coming up to you asking you your opinion? I never had Pop coming to my asking me my opinion. Uh, <laughs> but, but I often had Coach Brown, um, and I, him and I would often go back and forth, whether with Team Australia or when we were talking San Antonio, and going back and forth on things and and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and let me be honest too, though I've had a. You know, I've had many conversations with Coach Pop and things like that, and, and he might ask my opinion here and there, but it's never been something really to the level of like, you know, Coach Borrego and Coach Pop. I mean, those guys go back so far that it's, you know, he was Pop's right hand man for so long that, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, there's a whole history behind them in that regard. But, you know, I've had that experience, you know, with with other coaches and and things like that. And it's an important way of kind of just going back and forth in terms of what do you think of this play? How can we tweak it? What should we do? How should we defend this or or what's this? Or there's several conversations you have through the course of the year, Um, you know, and, and, and the way it was set up in San Antonio, I was assigned to coach Brown. So that was my guy. And that was who I had millions of those conversations with. Now, in addition to uh, coaches asking your opinion, Having two teams as with as histories as rich as the Spurs and Clippers, where you have guys like Duncan and Manu and Tony Parker, what uh, personal memories do you have with any of the players, or what um, what were some of the highlights of your career as far as like interactions with players? Oh, I mean, I got so many stories. Um, I, I appreciate you saying the Clippers had a rich history. We both know that was kind of a bit of a falsehood, um, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I have tons of stories. I mean, uh, my first week in San Antonio, they asked me to go pick up Manu in Dallas, um, you know, and that's like that's like a four hour drive. So, you know, kind of picking up Manu and his wife flying in from Argentina into Dallas and then, you know, uh, and, and driving down and kind of having a conversation with Manu on on. You know, him basically having never met me going like, hi, I'm Mo. I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to drive you now. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of having a, a, a get to know you conversation with him and his wife a little bit in the car before they passed out from jet lag. Um, you know, Tony just kind of always kind of just, just always lighthearted conversations and, and Tim always kind of, uh, you know, talking here and there. I mean, he's a big video game head and things like that. Unfortunately, I wasn't, so I didn't, couldn't really relate too much with him. Um, you know, a lot of my relationships are with guys that are lesser known. Chris Quinn, um, you know, is a guy I used to have dinner with several times when I was in San Antonio. Uh, you know, Jamal Crawford is a guy who I used to 
play bat. I used to play one on one with, you know, after practice, you know, with the Clippers and, and him and I would go back and forth. You know, I have, you know, I've had some great experiences with, with those guys, with Grant Hill, with Chris Paul, with Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Chauncey Bill. I mean, I can go on and on. Um, you know, as a video guy, you're, you're, you're around, you're, you're around these guys all the time. So you end up just kind of having these conversations and, and, and they're just normal people, you know, and it's just whatever, you know, and, and, you know, I remember having a conversation with Matt Bonner, who I love to death about religion and Manu kind of jumping in and me and Matt were having a lighthearted conversation. Manu comes in and the intensity level ramps up to like a hundred, you know, and next thing you know, we're in like a two hour deep conversation about this. And then a few days later, me and Matt are talking about something completely unrelated and Manu starts to come in and we both looked at him going like, we ain't got time for this Manu <laughs> you know, and, and that stuff, you know, but it's just those kinds of, it's, it, you're around these guys all the time. It's a very, you get, just get used to each other and, 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 and it's very kind of family oriented. You know, the, the, the Bonner was great. He always had us, you know, the, the guys in the video room over for Thanksgiving dinner. Cause most of the time, none of us were from San Antonio. Um, and you know, you kind of get those invite invitations from coaches and things and, 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 and different players here and there. And you, you just kind of go with it. Did you ever beat Jamal Crawford when you played one V one? I mean, I'm going to say, yeah, but that's because you guys can't ever prove it. Um, <laughs> the truth was when I say one V one, it was more him. Uh, it was, uh, was more him playing offense and me just playing defense. But there were a few times where I got some stops, you know, um, and that also carried over to Darren Collison and him and I playing. And that was a, a UCLA USC rivalry. So there was tons of trash talk there. Um, <laughs> and you know, but it was, it was a good, uh, Good time and 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 fun to be around the guys and 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 having that experience. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's bittersweet that the big three's all retired now. Yeah, I mean it. It's hard. Well, Tony's still playing, um, but the uh, it's 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 it was hard when Manu retired. You know, it was really hard when Tim retired. I'm like more just because I'm like, damn, I'm getting old. You know, you guys are in college now. You'll you'll see what I'm experiencing, you know, 15 years from now. I'm looking around going like, damn, man, everybody I started watching is, is you know, grew up watching is retiring. I, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. <laughs> I know. I've always said the saddest day of my life will be the day that LeBron retires because he's the guy that sparked my love of basketball. So when he retires, I'm going to be one of the saddest people on the face of the earth. And I feel like a lot of people are going to feel that same emotion. So, yeah, no, it's going to yeah, it's going to be really hard. You've made your career off like watching basketball and analyzing game tape and all that kind of stuff. Is there one team that you like love watching more than anybody else just because the way they play is so beautiful? Well, you know, there was a run where it was the Spurs just playing the right way, you know, and 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 things like that and and then it kind of transitioned to Golden State. Um I really do enjoy watching Boston play uh you know, it's it, it's a lot of fun watching Brad Stevens kind of put things together. It's it's fun watching, you know, the the Sixers. The truth is, the NBA is in such a great position right now. There are so many interesting teams. I mean, how can you not have fun watching Houston, watching Philly, watching the Warriors, watching you know uh, Boston? You know, there's there's so many exciting things. It's going to be fun watching LeBron in LA. It's 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 you know I. Didn't have the appreciation for the Spurs growing up because I was a Laker fan and there was rivalry. But, 
you know, as I got into the NBA, just kind of watching them kind of methodically go through things. And before them, it was the Utah Jazz that were like a machine and just ran the same stuff over and over again. And you couldn't stop them. You know, there it's it's evolution and it changes every year. So I think it's one of those things where um, we'll see this year who's going to be interesting to watch. You know, I'd keep my eye on Milwaukee with with Coach Bud. But, you know, I enjoy watching any game. Like, you know, my, my friends make fun of me because, like, I'll choose to watch a preseason Orlando-Charlotte game uh, before going out. So, you know, it's it's I'll watch anything. Yeah. As a Lakers fan, um, how do you feel about the team that's been assembled around LeBron? Well, I grew up a Lakers fan. I'm not a Lakers fan anymore. Um, yeah. as much to the chagrin to many people who, who, who like to think I am, uh, <laughs> you know, I, when, when you start working for the Clippers, they're like your older brother and you just want to beat the crap out of them every chance you could, <laughs> uh, which, which didn't happen to us too many times. Um, it's an interesting team they put together. I mean, look, they put a lot of young guys around. I mean, they have the young guys. They brought some veterans, you know, and we know what they're doing. I mean, they're preserving their cap space for next year. They brought guys that can can play. Um, I don't think they have a team that can really compete for a championship uh, as of now. But, you know, they, you know, Rondo, Ron, Rondo, Rondo is going to be interesting, you know, how he plays with, with LeBron and, and, and pairing him with, you know, kind of how he pushes Lonzo to, to be better and things like that. Like it's going to be, it's an interesting roster. I, you know, they don't, I don't feel like they have enough shooting, although some Laker fans think they do. Um, but I think they could have always had more. And I think it's, it's, it's a fluid thing. I think this year, the expectation is like, let's see what the young kids can do with LeBron. And then from there, I think we'll, we'll start to see them build, build what really will be their squad. Yeah, one of the most interesting things that we've certainly discussed, like talking over the offseason, is some of the positional battles that the Lakers have, whether Brandon Ingram can uh, take the next step, and basically that mixture of youth and the influence LeBron's going to have. And going forward, uh, seeing as a lot of stars this summer, Kawhi Leonard didn't exactly express interest in the Lakers. We were wondering what you think their future holds for them in terms of how you feel like their squad's going to get built. It's interesting, you know, it's, it's, you know, Kawhi not ending up a Laker, uh, Paul George choosing Oklahoma City over the Lakers, you know, the Lakers not even making it on Jimmy Butler's list is, is interesting. You know, they're going to go after Kawhi in free agency. They're going to go after Kevin Durant in free agency. They're going to go after Clay Thompson in free agency. I think those are going to be the three guys that they really target hoping to get one of them. I think it's a tough, it's going to be tough. I think, you know, it's, it's, I find it hard to believe Kevin Durant's going to leave the Warriors to go to LA considering how much crap he took going to the Warriors. You know, if, if he leaves the Warriors, I think it's to kind of pursue something more on his own. Um, I mean, let's just be honest. Does anybody really believe Clay Thompson's going anywhere? No, no, no way. I mean, the dude just looks happy as hell. Like, I just can't imagine him leaving. Yeah. You know, we, we, we don't know what happens with Kawhi. Um, in, in that regards, you know, we've also heard the Clippers name a couple of times tied to Kawhi. So we don't even know if he's interested in the Lakers or the Clippers, you know, it's going to be an interesting sort of summer for them, you know, how they get, how they build going to be challenging. You know, if Jimmy Butler gets traded and, and, you know, he's more likely going to sign an extension to the team, not he's going to sign next summer with the team he gets traded to because that's big money for him. That's about a $40 million difference. So I think there's a, you know, it's, it's, 
they're they're putting their eggs in all the right baskets is just a very scary proposition that they might come away with none of those guys. And then you have to figure out what they're going to do. A lot's been talked about Anthony Davis signing with clutch sports and nobody knows how that turns out in new Orleans. You know, is he going to start kind of getting, you know, the next guy to go to the Lakers, you know, and, and there's a bunch of different things, you know, always moving parts. And the thing is we could wake up tomorrow and there'll be a whole new disgruntled NBA star. You know, that's, that's kind of the fun thing in the league. You know, you always kind of have somebody, you know, this season could be a disaster for Milwaukee and Giannis might demand a trade for all we know. Like it's, who knows what's coming. Yeah. I definitely think one of the most interesting things that happened this off season was the Clippers pursuit of Kawhi Leonard. And to the extent that they fired Bruce Bowen, just because he criticized him. Yeah. I don't know how much is, I, I can't, I just don't believe that that was the whole situation. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think there's more to it than, than we know. Uh, I, I, I find it hard to believe that that one comment got him, uh, fired. That might've been something that was the, the catalyst, but I, I, I have a hard time believing that that was the one thing. Now I want to move on from the Lakers to their, uh, rival, the Celtics. We've had a lot of debates in the past couple of podcasts. Johnny and I both think that the Celtics really could beat the Warriors this year and win the finals. Anka thinks that Stevens might have a tough time managing all the minutes now that Hayward is healthy with the rise of Tatum. So I want to know what your thoughts are about the Celtics and how legitimate it is that a team could actually knock off the Warriors. Listen, they got, that's a very deep team. There's no question about it. I mean, that squad's, you know, goes 10 deep. Uh, I, I think it's going to be, you know, on the face of it, they definitely can, you know, they can definitely challenge the Warriors. I'm literally looking at a tweet that says Clay Thompson Celtics, not the Rockets biggest threat to the Warriors. So the, they have the Warriors attention at the very least, um, or Clay's, which is just as shocking. Um, you know, the, uh, I think the Celtics, it's going to be an interesting year because I think you guys are both right. I think both sides are right. I think they can definitely threaten the Warriors. I think the other side of it too is Stevens is going to have to figure out the minutes and how things go and the way the season goes. If, if, you know, it's, it's hard to ask some guys who made a leap last year to take a step back or, or, or take less shots or whatnot. It's how he handles it. Now, don't get me wrong. Every coach wants this problem. This is a good problem to have. You know, we got too much talent. Any coach would be happy to trade rosters. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, how he kind of works guys into the lineup, how he uses guys and, and, and where he fits and make sure these guys get the minutes and, and things like that. It's a, a Pat Riley thing of, you know, the disease of me is a thing where guys kind of always sort of want more. But the good thing is they haven't won a championship yet. They didn't even go to the finals last year. You know, so there's there, there's a desire there. Um, one thing I kind of like to go back to a little bit is in the playoffs, teams are going to pick on Kyrie again, which is something that they didn't have this year. You know, when the Celtics put their five guys on the floor, there was really nobody you were going to pick on. When, when Kyrie's on the floor, you're going to go at Kyrie a bit more. So... It'll be interesting to see how they kind of put it all together and, and, and really how the guys, you know, gel, you know, each year is a whole new year of let's build the chemistry up and it's going to be interesting. You know, there's a difference between Jason Tatum as a rookie and Jason Tatum uh, as a sophomore who's, you know, gone through, I mean, dude, he, 
lots of accolades. You know, a lot of people were looking at him, expecting him to have a huge career. I mean, it's a very different way walking through the door this year than he was last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that stuff. I think both sides are right. I think there, there could be a scenario where there's trouble for the Celtics. There, there could be a scenario where they're in the finals. There's also a Toronto team that's pretty damn good. There's a Philly team that I think people are actually underrating because they didn't get a superstar this year. But I think there's, you know, I think they're relatively the same team and, and hope probably a year better. Um, in that regards, assuming also, for all teams, everybody stays healthy. So it's, it's not just that easy, um, a thing, but it's, it's something. I think the Celtics are definitely a team to keep an eye on. I mean, look, everybody's going to have them either one or two in the East. So it's, uh, they're, they're, they're definitely going to be there at the end. Yeah. A lot of people have the Celtics really high up in the East. And a lot of people also have the Rockets really high up in the West. How do you think that Dan Tony is going to be able to find balance on this offensive heavy Rockets team after adding Carmelo Anthony and Brandon Knight and Michael Carter Williams and those guys? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, the, they, they lost a lot of defense and, and that's the thing, you know, their offense last year was just as good as the year before. The big change for them last year was their defense. Um, and having a Luke Mbamute and a Trevor Ariza, um, to really kind of, take that pressure off of Harden and, and, and Chris Paul, you know, really makes a difference this year. You know, a lot's been said of what James Ennis, James Ennis can bring to them defensively. You know, I, I, I'm a bit skeptical. I need to see more um, from him. You know, there's a difference between playing that in against the with the Lakers when, when these games are meaningless versus when they matter. And I think it's going to be something that we're going to have to see. I think, they have lost a bit defensively. There's going to be a challenge there. I mean, their defensive coach retired two weeks ago, you know, kind of out of the blue. So that's that's another challenge for them. I think they're still going to be a hell of an offensive team. You know, I think, you know, they, they, they've gotten a lot of talent. If the starting lineup is going to be Chris Paul, uh, James Harden, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, and, and uh, Clint Capella, I mean, that's a hell of a starting lineup. That's a very strong offensive powerhouse and a good defensive lineup. When you start bringing guys off the bench, when you start bringing mellow in and things like that, then I, I start to get a little bit worried for that team. But, you know, they're going to have the firepower. The question is, can they defend? And that's going to be on D'Antoni, who, you know, he he doesn't really coach the defense all that much. You know, he's, he's had uh, Jeff Blazelic, whose name I just butchered. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I, and, and, and I knew it full well. I wasn't even going to try to say it correctly. Uh, the, uh, you know, he was the guy that was in charge of the defense last year. So a lot of questions going into this year and a lot of it's going to be for me, at least focused on their defense and, and, and how they handle everything. Sure. Just heading back over to the East, um, a team that we've kind of discussed over the last few podcasts and kind of had trouble predicting how they're going to do going into the season is Detroit. Um, I, I'm personally quite high on them. I know some of the guys aren't. Um, but with with the new coach, obviously a coach that we've seen the, the huge potential of over the last few years, um, going into a system that doesn't really, you know, with, with the players, the pieces that he has, doesn't really fit the systems that he's uh, implicated over the last, you know, couple seasons. How much of a role do you think the staff has um, on that organization to make the transition as easy po- as easy as possible for Casey? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a challenge. You know, the, the one thing about coaching too, though, is you have to be flexible. You have to be ready. You know, 
a lot of coaches sometimes go, this is my system and I only want players that fit my system. Well, you don't always get that, right? So how are you going to coach the guys you have? They're, they're locked into that roster. Nobody's taking Reggie Jackson. You know what I mean? Nobody's taking Blake Griffin off, you know, with, with that contract. Nobody's really, nobody's biting on Andre Drummond. So these are your guys in case he's got to find a way to make it work. Now here's the good news. He's a damn good coach. You know, uh, I don't think he should have gotten fired in Toronto. I understand they had to make the change after what happened and with, you know, them getting swept yet again by the uh, Cavs, but he's a hell of a coach. And I think, you know, they're going to be in good shape. It's do, you know, the East is weak. There's a chance they can make the playoffs, but I think it's a matter of health and things like that. And, you know, I think he's going to unleash point forward Blake. You know, I think we're going to see a lot more of Blake handling the ball and kind of creating for others. I think, you know, the front office staff has to do their best to kind of bring in the right players, but they're just in such a tight spot right now with, with their cap situation. I just don't see how they make a lot of improvements. You know, it's going to be just a bunch of small guys on the, on the fringe. But there's not really they're not really in a position right now to make a, a, a big change. Yeah, now um we talk about like Blake Griffin was obviously traded during the season last year and there were a lot of free agent signings, but we also did a podcast on all the uh the lottery picks from this year's draft. Is there one rookie in particular that you think is gonna thrive who could be the potential next guy in the NBA? Because we're all pretty much in agreement that Luka Doncic we think is gonna be great, and we're all not keen on uh, Mo Bamba. So I'd love to hear your opinion about who you think could thrive. Yeah, uh, it's not really going to, this is going to be kind of anticlimactic, but I'm with you guys on Luka Doncic. I think, you know, there, I, the one thing I think is he needs to work on his body. He needs to, to, you can kind of tell already he's a 19 year old kid that's eating McDonald's on a daily basis. Um, and that's just me joking and looking at it, you know, from afar. I don't know what he's actually eating, but, the kid can freaking play and I don't care what anybody says. You know, I've, I've seen European basketball up close. I've seen the, the level of talent there. I know it's not the NBA, but I looked at it as a step above college basketball. And this guy's been playing against pros since he was like 15 or 16 years old. You know, he basically what has been a pro for the past few years. I think, you know, he has a talent level that, you know, that he can reach some really interesting, you know, Heights, you know, I think pairing him with Dennis Smith Jr. is going to be a really exciting thing. I think that's going to be good for the both of them. You know, they don't, they both can share playmaking responsibilities. They both don't have to feel like it's all on them. I think, you know, having a guy like Dirk sort of mentoring the young Euro is, is, is another real positive thing. And a franchise that's catered to, uh, European players, you know, it, they're, they're kind of familiar with how to help him sort of assimilate a little bit to American culture, although I don't think it's going to be that hard. The kids playing Fortnite on Instagram every other day. Um, I think, you know, it's a, uh, a thing, you know, I think he's just going to have to develop. It'll take a little bit of time, but I think, you know, we're going to see pretty early on that like, yeah, this, this was the kid, you know, I think, you know, I think a lot of GMs are going to be in trouble, you know, for passing on him. I think we're going to be looking at Atlanta going like, I can't believe you traded you know, him for Trey Young and a, and a draft pick. You know, we're going to look at Phoenix going like, I can't believe you didn't pair him with Devin Booker. You know, we're uh, Sacramento, you know, taking Bagley over him. Like, these are all things that I am I think they're going to be regretting at the end of the season. Oh, we all agreed about that with Sacramento. We really think that they should have taken him. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
what is probably the most messy situation of the offseason, and I think it's encompassed all of us, has been the Jimmy Butler situation. So what do you think about the team moving forward this season? Can they focus on a playoff a playoff hunt when their star visibly wants out and Thibodeau wants to keep him? Or what do you think some of the trade scenarios are, considering that they want a seemingly ridiculous price for him? I kind of want to start with the price thing. Um, I think Mike Prada from SB Nation kind of said it best, but this is how every negotiation starts. You know, it's, it's everybody wants the world for their best player, you know, and, and, and at the same time, all the offers you're getting is literally, you're like, are you, are, are you serious? The, what? You know, now listen, the, the stories of, you know, Philly calling them and saying, Hey, we got this package and they go like any package has to include Ben Simmons. Right. Like that's, asking for the world and, and, and a bit extreme, you know, it, it, it takes time to kind of work a deal like this. And, and eventually you, you kind of hopefully meet in the middle. Now it does seem with Tibbs and Scott Layden that there is no intentions at all of trading Jimmy, which really makes it hard. It makes it hard in practice. It makes it hard on your players. It makes it hard on the coaches. Cause you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, we saw it since we saw it kind of play out in San Antonio when they didn't know what was going to happen with Kawhi. You know, is he coming? Is he not coming? Is he in? Is he not in? He plays nine games, doesn't, you know, this and that. He's like, I'm coming. I'm coming. Okay. No, I'm not coming. You know, and, and things. And there's, there's that whole thing. And, and, and it's a cloud over the organization. And it's very difficult. You know, I have a lot of questions. You know, I wasn't 100% sure they were, uh, they were a fringe playoff team for me you know, going into the season with Jimmy Butler. I mean, they don't have Jimmy Butler. I mean, they're not a playoff team to me at all in the West. Um, I think that's a, a, a challenging situation that, you know, the organization should want to resolve quickly, but you also don't want to just take back complete crap. You know, um, you want to get at least close to fair value. When you're trading a superstar, you're never really going to get dollar for dollar value. You know, so you got to hope you can try to get somewhat closer to that dollar um but it sounds like from the reports we're all reading right it's they're they're being pretty unrealistic yeah and since they're being so unrealistic let's just say he doesn't get traded before the season starts what do you think that the wolves do this season what do you expect their season to look like yeah i i i don't know i mean i i i can't imagine he's gonna hold out the whole year um I got to think he'd, he'd come and play a little bit, but there's going to be a lot of disgruntledness and, 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 and kind of some bad chem. I mean, we already seen it, you know, Wiggins, brother coming out going Honolulu the day Jimmy Butler declares a trade, you know, demands a trade. Like that's not a good look. That's something that causes problems within the locker room. There's these kind of underlying tensions. So I think it's a, I'll be honest, they're, they're heading towards a disaster. This is kind of looking like the Hindenburg. Um, and I, I think that's something that they got to kind of uh, uh, take into account, considering how long they want to drag this this potential trade situation. It doesn't seem like at all he's interested in coming back, though. So they're they're in a tough spot, and and until it gets resolved, I really just can't imagine it being a a good feeling there. Yeah, I think it'll be to say the least a really interesting season. Um, Mo, we want to thank you for your time. We really appreciate like hearing about your stories and uh, your experience. And if you're ever in New York City, feel free to message us and maybe we can watch a game together. <laughs> Sounds good, fellas. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, thank you. you.
That's it for this week's edition of the 11 Percenters podcast. Huge thank you to Mo Keel for coming on and talking with us. It was great. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at 11percenters. And remember to enter into our contest for free preseason tickets to a game of your choice. You can find this podcast on both SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And we'll be back soon with more NBA content because the season is just around the corner. Peace. Thank you.